every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. G'day everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Great to have you with us. Don't forget to jump on the website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. The reason why I tell you that is that we've got some great books in store for Father's Day, for Christmas, for all of your gift needs. And on this edition of the pod, we're going to explore an interesting topic. Who are the immortals of Australian motor racing? Now, it's a theme that has been uh, solid in rugby league over the years. It's almost like the, the all-star teams. Who are the greats of the greats? Well, it's a tough question to answer. It's a tough one to put in order. But a guy who's tried to delve into this, who's done a great job of this, is Luke West, the former editor of Australian Muscle Car Magazine. He's got a new book out. It's called The Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, The Local Heroes. And on this edition of the pod, I caught up with Luke to talk not just about the book, but about the concept of immortals. Who are the immortals? Why are they immortal? Who's he selected and why? Who I'd pick and why? And a whole pile of topics that come out of our discussion. So, here we go. Buckle up, Luke West and the Immortals on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Well, this week on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, we are talking Immortals. I'm not one. My guest is not one. Well, we are in our own lunchboxes, but he's put together a book that is about the Immortals of Australian motor racing. It's my good mate, Luke West, who joins us on the pod. Hello, mate. It's I'd rather do this in person, but we're Zooming. It's a thing. Uh, congrats on the new book. It's it's a cracker. Yeah, I'm really proud. I'm really happy with how it's come up, Noons. It's uh, fantastic. Now, this book... Um, which, by the way, we'll get the plug out of the way early. It's available now on the V8 Sleuth Bookshop. Uh, website address is bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. It's the Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, the local heroes. So it's highlighted 10 of the best, um, all household names, um, Brock Lowndes, Moffat Scaife, Johnson Perkins. We'll run through the full list a bit later on. But you've narrowed it down to the 10 immortals. So this is something that's a bit of a, a rugby league and cricket thing that's been done in uh, books and, and the like before. But you've sort of now transplanted this, uh, this concept to, to motor racing. It's something we haven't seen before. Exactly right. So Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, the local heroes, is the third in Gelding Street Press's series on Immortals of Australian sport. There's going to be plenty more. So this is the third one. And as you said, we've already started with rugby league and cricket. And rugby league is where the Immortals concept began. And it's selecting and celebrating the best of the best. And uh, in rugby league's case, it's only 13 players over 110 years or something like that. <laughs> so this is not a Hall of Fame where there are 450,000 greats celebrate. This is a really select number. 
So when Gelding Street Press asked me to do the motor racing version, I said, well, hang on, that's going to be hard. Let's do, in the first instance, just concentrate on the domestic scene. And, uh, and they said, all right, okay, well, how many are you going to select, given that there's 13 in rugby league and there's 13 in a rugby league side? And in our cricket book, we had 11 because there's 11 um, on a cricket team. What are you going to do? Well, I can't have a full grid of, you know, 25 or whatever it is. So I thought top 10s are kind of big and, and shoot, 10 is a magic number, I think, in, in motor racing for shootouts and it's pretty much the minimum standard of a decent result or starting position. So I narrowed it down to 10. I said, I'm only going to do 10. And then it, who are we going to pick? Well, let's, let's have a look at the criteria. Immortals suggests your name lives on. Of course, results come into it, but it's also who's a household name and what are their contributions to the sport over the years? So it can't just be the most number of championships or most number of Bathurst wins, but nonetheless, that is a major criteria for me. It's who's moved the game forward, who's done so much for the sport to draw people to it, and whose fame endures. So that's how I came up with my 10. The thing is, too, you've picked uh, – you can't fit everyone in. <laughs> you can't have the bench to go with the main team. You can't have an alternate. You've got to stick to your 10. So for those who, who might not have a copy of the book, these are the 10 uh, names that you will read about. And this is in chronological order. So it's Bob Jane, Alan Moffat, Colin Bond, Peter Brock, Dick Johnson, Jim Richards, Larry Perkins, Mark Scaife, Craig Lowndes, and Jamie Winkup. So it goes the full gamut from Jane, who was the Australian Touring Car Champion multiple times in the 60s, right through to Jamie Winkup, the modern-day GOAT, the most winning driver in the Supercars Championship era. So there's the 10. Um there's a range of previously unpublished photos. You've had great insight into uh, a lot of these drivers' careers along the journey. How much of – did you come up with almost like a percentage of, all right, results counts for about this much, X factors this much, fan appeals this much? C could you quantify that or is it kind of a uh, – you can't really apply a rule set here. It's a bit of feel. It's a bit of – it's the vibe. It's Marbo. It's the constitution. That's kind of the way you've done it. <laughs> It's very much the latter scenario. Uh, and I also had to consider that I wanted to create a book that was an engaging read. So I didn't want to just make it uh, a run through each driver's career and just because everyone knows Peter Brock's career. Everyone knows Dick Johnson's career that, from the audience that will read this book. And I wanted to tell, I wanted to sum up a, why they're an immortal and what they've done for the sport. And I wanted to tell some stories within each chapter that people hadn't considered before or didn't know. Um, so with the Peter Brock chapter, his theme, uh, that chapter's theme is more what did he do to the sport? What would the, would supercars, would Bathurst, would Holden dealer team, Holden Racing Team, Holden in general, would they have been, would they have attained the legendary status without Peter Brock existing? And the answer to that is no. So, yeah, I really consider with Brock what he brought to the sport. When it came to Dick Johnson, well, Dickie J has the best story in Australian motorsport. They're hitting the rock in 1980, coming back and completing the fairy tale the next year. And I highlight in his chapter 
how important it was for Australian motor racing that he came along when he did because it was a little bit stagnated at the end of the 1970s. Holden was dominating with the A9X. Moffat had gone or was in the process of moving to Mazda. It was a bit like the song. Uh, I can't remember who sung it. We need a hero. Well, Dick Johnson <laughs> came along at that time. I need a hero. I like, think you're I'm the first person. Shot. You are the first person to launch into song on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. And I wish before I came on that I looked up who sung it and the lyrics so I could get it right. Well, the hero <laughs> came along in the form of uh, Dick Johnson and that reignited Australian motorsport and the whole Ford versus uh, Holden concept and the great battle and underpinned it. And I guess you're going to tell me now who uh, who sung that song. Bonnie Tyler, was it? Correct, correct. Yes, I just Googled while you were talking and Bonnie Tyler. It was indeed, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and even with the more modern guys, uh, so the most recent or currently active immortals, semi-active in the case of Craig Lowndes, uh, and Jamie Winkup, I wanted to tell their story, sum them up. And in Lowndes' case, I just was, I'm fascinated with his story of the day he became an overnight sensation. So Bathurst 1994. So I reckon everyone listening to this podcast, Noons, would know that he was the virtual unknown who starred by overtaking John Bauer with 10 or 11 laps to go after the final restart, uh, 1994, at Bathurst. But what a lot of people don't know is how that shooting star, that overnight sensation, he very nearly threw it away earlier in the race. And I spoke to Craig about this because around about midday when he did his first stint in the Holden Racing Team Commodore after taking over from Brad Jones, in the dampness, because uh, it was a wet race that went to dry, it was still damp about midday when he did his first stint and he was off the pace. He was struggling. And he was struggling so much, Lowndes, that he spun up at Sulman Park. Now, over the years, we've seen hundreds of cars spin out at Reed Park, Sulman Park, around the Great Section. How many have spun and got away with it over the years? I can't think of anyone else other than Craig Lowndes doing that. He did it early in that 94 race. He didn't hit anything. Not only that, TV didn't capture it. Mm. Not, and I asked Craig uh, this time last year when I was finalising his chapter, I said, Craig, have you ever seen a photo of in all the signing sessions that you have done, has anyone ever brought you a photo? Someone who was up the top of the mountain in 1994 saw you spin. Anyone show you a photo of you off the road? And he said, no, no one has. So, therefore, of course, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, I ask you this, Noons. Motor racing history. Would imagine how history would have played out that day and for Craig Lowndes' career or not played out if he, when he spun at Sulman Park and only those 1,000 people, 800 people, whatever it is, could, who could see that and his crew. So if he had crashed, what would that have done to his career? Would he have got another opportunity? Maybe he would have. But if you look at Cameron McConville, who was in the same position 12 months earlier, who crashed at the top of the mountain for or coming down the mountain when racing for Dick Johnson Racing, that put McConkie's uh, career back several years. 
And uh, you can just, would that have been the same scenario for Lowndes if he had crashed in that race and not had the opportunity to star later in the day and then get the further opportunity? Well, there's a couple of things to really unpack out of it all, isn't there? Short answer, I think Lowndes still does go on to where he went on to. The difference being he'd already signed with HRT. He was in the family. He wasn't trying to prove himself because they'd already seen what he could do out at Calder in private. They played around with car setup. They didn't tell him what they were doing. He'd come in, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Oh, geez, it's a bit it's a bit heavy in the front. They went, oh, good. That's what we did to it and didn't tell him. But the thing uh, was, remember the next year at Sandown in the 500 where he ran at the front in the first few laps and put it in the sand, I think like three laps in, driving like a, a total young, over-enthused um, bloke who tried to win the fir- the race in the first three laps and got suckered into a move down the inside on Glenn Seaton, put it in the sand. That's kind of what could have happened at Bathurst in terms of making a monumental stuff up in a in an important race. I feel like he probably would have, had he put it in the fence, well, the other thing is too, as you said, it's not on TV. So McConville's was on TV, replayed ad nauseum, yes. and his big problem was that there was a kid called Stephen Johnson a year away from coming through to drive for DJR, who it was kind of always going to be him who ends up being in the chair down the track. So I think Lowndes got away with it, didn't he, that no one saw it. or He did tell me one day that he reckoned he remembered a fan had sent him some handycam camcorder-type vision, but he said he couldn't remember if he had it still or if, it, if he's dreaming it or or whatever, but he had a feeling that someone somewhere had turned up a bit of vision. But I think he's largely got away with it, and it's a part of the history of the race and his career that everyone really, particularly in the, the mainstream, doesn't remember or know. The other aspect to Craig Lowndes' career, his early career, was his timing coming along at the tail end of Peter Brock's career, Peter Brock being the people's champion, the Holden champion, how about that for timing that we could go from one fan-friendly, likeable, super-talented driver and just beautifully transition into the next one and you get the whole master and apprentice uh, scenario happening that, we all remember how the fans 25 years ago just dug that so much. The natural successor to Brock suddenly appeared. So there's so many elements to Craig Lowndes' career that I just find fascinating, and I, I tell him the book to get people thinking. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. The other thing that people forget too, while we talk Lowndes and, and 94, he biffed it in the warm-up as well at Griffin's Bend, which Wayne Gardner did the same thing. So he, he biffed it in the warm-up. He spins at the top of the mountain and doesn't hit anything. Brad Jones is the bloke who deserves a medal. He hauled them back into that race from pretty much a lap down. And Lowndes gets in at the end and does that pass that he didn't mean to do around the outside at turn two. <laughs> Looks like a hero. And the, the legend that is Lowndes is born. It's just the nature of the way that pop culture and popular thinking arrives from. But those little extra elements that you've, you've gone through here in the book, 
kind of get a bit over lost. The, the hardcores, the people who listen to our pod, a lot of people will say, yeah, I remember that, I know that. But the general population just sees the bit at the end and goes, wow, how good was that? Star was born, but totally forgot all the other stuff or didn't know it to begin with. Yeah, and that's what I'm really keen for the listeners to know is that this is just not a run through the stuff that you know. So the Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, the domestic heroes or the local heroes, is trying to give you some more insight into the character and the scenario. I love also to contrast the careers of uh, the two guys that will drive together this year, Craig Lowndes and Jamie Winkup. Now, you highlighted a moment ago, Noons, that uh, Lowndes was already in the Holden family, so he was reasonably secure. Contrast that with Jamie. He is the greatest of all time, the GOAT, seven championships for Jamie Winkup. How many GOATs, how many uh, the most successful drivers of all time got sacked at the end of their first season of competition? Now, a lesser man would have run away with his tail between his legs or may not have even got another opportunity. Jamie did, and to his credit, he grasped it. And uh, then when he was only meant to be Craig Lowndes' understudy, when he was picked up by Roland Dane and Triple Eight, he seized that opportunity and became the GOAT of all time. So I just love the contrast between the overnight sensation Lowndes and the, uh, the, the other guy that, my goodness, he got a second opportunity. How many other young drivers get sacked at the end of their first year and don't get another opportunity. Jamie did, but to his credit, deserved that opportunity, of course, and made the most of it. I love the bit I read in the book that you wrote about um, if you had watched the 2003 championship when Jamie (laughs) drove for GRM and gone away on holiday for 15 years and come back and said, what have I missed? Who's been doing all the winning? And if um, they said, oh, that Jamie Winkup kid's won seven championships and a 100 and something races and four Bathursts and whatever – you'd have probably needed paddles to bring you back to life because no one <laughs> at that point would have been guessing anything like that was possible. But I think the 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 point of Brock being on the way down as Lowndes was on the way up was the same with Lowndes and Winkup, but the the points overlapped a bit further where Lowndes was still a competitive Triple Eight um, contender. You know, 05, before Winkup got there, he was the runner-up. 06, he was the runner-up in controversial circumstances when Winkup arrived. But from 07 onwards, although Winkup either won the championship or finished runner-up, Lowndes was still in the mix. He was still winning races and competitive and won, you know, won Bathurst a few more times with Winkup and then again with Scaife. So he's he wasn't coming down the hill at the point where Brock was, but he was not at the point where he w- the, the lines intersected and Winkup overtook him. So a lot of people said about Jamie going to Triple Eight, that's not a good idea. You're going to get smashed up by the greatest of all time here, Craig Lowndes. But he only got beaten for one season, found his feet, and he smoked Lowndes from there on in terms of the championship positions. Lowndes never beat him in a championship off the top of my head, I don't think, I'm pretty sure, ever again. Like, you know, he he went – it's kind of like the – you got to go the big dog in the yard if you're going to become the big dog in the yard. And he went the big dog in the yard and won comfortably to the point where, you know, we refer to him as the the goat. I know a lot of our listeners don't, but statistically, I call him the statistical goat because then no one can argue with me. That's fair enough. And there are a lot of critics of Jamie saying, well, he's only won all those championships 
because he's driven for the best team, Triple Eight. And your point, of course, is he had to beat the big dog, the undisputed uh, gun of the time and one of the another immortal to win those championships. So, yeah, Jamie is certainly someone very special. The last time I checked, the aim of the game is to get in the best car you can get into. No one wins a world championship in a Minardi over history. It's not the aim of the game, um, which that whole theory from some people just doesn't wash with me. Now, one thing I've got to ask you about with this book, with the 10 immortals that you've chosen, we've talked about the prerequisites of how you determined who was who in the zoo or who didn't quite get into the final list. You've listed them chronologically. I can't help but feel here, did you consider sticking your neck out and putting them in an order one to ten or did you just stay away from that from the beginning i did stay away from that from the beginning i was much more comfortable running them in chronological order Uh, i thought it'd be controversial enough to just select 10 and there's a lot of fans out there who have heroes and i'm getting some uh social media Feedback, I'll call it. Feedback in inverted commas. <laughs> abuse, abuse. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Particularly from the open wheeler crowds, um, that you know, perhaps uh, you know, sort of the Kevin Bartlett's and those sorts of characters. Um, but again, I go back to I think if you have the immortal label applied to you, I think you have to be uh, a household name or pretty close to it. It can't just be fame within the sport. You have to achieve some pretty amazing things within the sport just to be known within the sport uh, and still be an immortal. Um, so, yeah, there's, 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 everyone's got a different story. The great thing is there's just such a spread of characters within the, the racing generally, uh, the racing scene domestically. So we can include – I could talk about Larry all day, for instance. <laughs> uh, mate, I, I'm so Larry I went and did a book about all these cars. So I, I'm with you <laughs> on the Larry thing. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt. There, there are a list of drivers at the back of the book who you've put in the honourable mentions. There's um, Harry Firth's in there, uh, Norm Beachy, Johnny Goss, Gricey, Bobby Morris, John Bow, Russell Ingle. Garth Tander and, of course, Mark Winterbottom and Scott McLaughlin in the modern supercars era. If I had to push you, if I could give you a top 11 shootout and you could have a (laughs) captain's call of those honourable mentions of who you would add to your 11th spot, if we open it up to the cricket spear of having an 11, who are you putting in from your honourable mentions? Or is there someone outside of that realm, Shane Van Gisbergen perhaps, who you can see the potential in the next five to ten years of what they could achieve, who could leapfrog all of these honourable mentions and get yeah, in the think, door that way. I think Van Gisbergen is the next potential immortal of the Australian scene. And I want to just quickly address that. I've copped some criticism. Got, oh, you've got some Kiwis in your book. Well, and, and a Canadian being, a Canadian-born driver being Alan Moffat. So the title is uh, The Immortals of Australian Motor Racing the local heroes. So it's those drivers who plied their craft in Australia, regardless of where they originally hailed from. Um, I think Van Gisbergen, if I was writing the book in five years' time, I reckon he'd be difficult to leave out given the success we expect him to have over the next five years. But at the moment, he's the, on the on the outside looking in. I reckon in that P11 spot at the moment, Garth Tander, um, four times a Bathurst winner. He's won his championship. 
uh, back in 2007, and he's won uh, the 24-hour race as the lead driver, age 23, I think it was at the time, in the Monaro, back almost 20 years ago. Garth Tander has been so good for so long. I know he's no longer a full-time driver, but he may well have another Bathurst win um, if we get a Bathurst 1000 in before the end of the year. Um, and I think he's going to be a co-driver for another two or three years with a, you know, the chance to win a couple more Bathurst. So, yeah, I think Tander at the moment, maybe what why he's not in the 10 is that perhaps he's not that uh, household name outside of the sport like the other guys in the 10. So, but yeah, I think GT, I've always been a really big fan of Garth's. He's a hard bugger uh, <laughs> on the track, isn't he? So yeah. John Bauer was always the guy that was hard to pass. I reckon there's uh, a lot of racing drivers when they see Garth Tander's car, this is when he was a full-time driver, not so much as a co-driver because co-drivers have to behave themselves a bit and just <laughs> hand the car back in one piece. But when he was in the championship full-time and he was in the championship full-time for 20 years, um, if there was guys out there and they're looking in their rearview mirrors and they can see Tander behind them, I reckon he was able to intimidate drivers to help him make those passes that he was famous for. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think he's the – what will help him rise in that awareness point of view is the career he's about to – he started embarking on is the broadcasting career. Yes. If he does five to ten years – and clearly he's a long-term broadcast prospect. I mean, I used to do support races on TV with Garth and it was clear in 2008, 9, 10, whenever it was, that if there was going to be a driver from that crop of supercars at the time who would end up with the skill set, the ability to transition into doing broadcasting, I thought it was him all the way through. So if you put him on television for five years on the coverage as a commentator or a pit lane reporter or, a you know, in the broadcast team in some way, shape or form with a bit more exposure through a network, I think you'll see his, his um, awareness outside of the sport grow. So therefore, when we no doubt ring you in five years' time to the day, um, you might put him in. <laughs> To, um, to find himself in a spot or we might end up making it a, an even dozen just to uh, to make it fun. Tell you what we should do um, for our listeners as well. Uh, we're talking about the new book, The Immortals of Australian Motor Racing. Luke has selected his 10 Immortals of Australian Motor Racing of the local heroes. What I'd love our listeners to do is to, when you've got a copy of the book or you know the 10, which we ran through earlier, give us your 10. Put them in order. I'd love to hear what our um, our listeners think and also what they judge it on in terms of forming their top 10. So uh, send us a link. We've got a, a website. There's a contact form on there or you can flick it through social media. We'd be interested to see and hear some of your 10s and we might read some of them out in future editions of the podcast and see how they compare. I might even sit down and might make my top 10, Luke, and see how that compares across the board. Now, well, I'm looking forward to picking that top 10 of yours apart, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really encourage people because this is, I've, I've been privileged. I had 10 years as, or uh, nine years as editor of Australian Muscle Car Magazine. I did some commentary. It wasn't my main thing, but I did some uh, uh, on-course commentary back uh, in the day, 10 years or so ago. So I like to think that um, I've taken an overall view of uh, motorsport from the time I first went to a car racing event, Amaru Park in 1979. But it's only just my opinion. Uh, my book, I'm privileged enough to write it. 
and I would also be most interested in uh, in seeing other people's lists. It's fascinating. It's a great pub chat. One of the funny things is we have a sport where we try to encourage and we want opinions from people. Uh, other sports live their whole news cycle off opinion, AFL and NRL, particularly with so many journalists and reporters and hosts and broadcasters covering. But the minute that we have an opinion about anything in motor racing, oh, oh, oh boy, no, 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 that's not how it should be, but I think there should be more of it and this is a way that we can do it now. We talked about this being about the local heroes of Australian motor racing. Could we see an Immortals of Australian motor racing offshore version, i.e. Jack Brabham, Mick Doohan, Wayne Gardner, Mark Webber, Casey Stoner? Is that something that we could look at in the future as being on the radar for you? Uh, Possibly. It is not in the works, but uh, I must admit when we sat down to plan this book, uh, we thought, well, if if there's an appetite, or an immortal to the local scene and uh, people are really enjoying it, then why not? We can start to plan the uh, international stars, if you like, and won't be that'll be fun. And who be in your international stars 10? Oh, I'm running this Put podcast, mate, not you. Jeez, steady on. Um, <laughs> all right, the guys I said, who did I have? Brabham, Dewan, Gardner, Weber. There's four. Mm. Uh uh, Alan Jones, he's got to be in there. That's five. Casey Stoner, that's six. Jeez, I'm running out of slots pretty quickly, aren't I? Well, Will Power, the only Aussie to yeah, win in the 500, has got to be in there power. in the IndyCar yeah. series. I know you would have got to him. Yep. Yep. So that's seven. Um, there's the Lamar winners. Oh, I'd have to think deeply about that. Is David Brabham in there? Is Jeff Brabham in there? In there? Is Vern Schupen in there? Um, is there some more, you know, Troy Bayless, Troy Corsa, world champions in superbikes and stuff like that? Um, you know, we haven't even delved into Speedway, you know, guys who've really gone and done it in, in the US. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few arguments to be had there and a bit of pub chat to be had when we're allowed to go back to pubs, by the way, uh, here in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, yeah, I think it's oh, – does Daniel Ricciardo force his way in there? Does Scott Dixon count because he was born in Brisbane? Uh, and race formula holdens yeah Um, does scott mclaughlin qualify if we write this book in a year's time or if you write it and we read it if he's won an indy 500 does he get his way into the list it's oh yeah there's there's i'm struggling to get below 10 i think i've gone over the quota already yeah the one i would add as a definite if i sit down and write the uh, immortals of the international stars version jeff brabham's got to be in there and i think a lot of jeff's achievements in the United States were overlooked in Australia. If he was yeah. racing in IndyCars and IMSA sports cars, now we'd, uh, we'd hear so much more about him. You know, we've got a global village now and we can access pretty much any coverage we like mm. um, these days. But he achieved great things, you know, multiple championships for Nissan in uh, the uh, IMSA series as a factory driver and long-time front runner in indie cars when australians weren't really looking at that so and then winning le mans too with mm. peugeot so uh, quite apart from winning the bathurst 1000 with his brother for bmw in 1997 so to me jeff brabham is a must if i write that other book and hey if people like this current book and it sells then we'll embark on that project i reckon 
I reckon this book's going to sell. We've already seen plenty of sales at our end. There'll be more anyway. If you haven't got a copy, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au is the place to come to. The, the link will be in our show notes for this episode of the pod if anyone's trying to find the fast way to get there. You mentioned earlier, uh, editor for Australian Muscle Car for a long time, commentator at the, the V8 Supercar stuff. You're now with Rockpool Publishing who have put this book together, who you're working for. Can we expect some more motorsport books? It's been a while uh, I've been very proud that as business at our end, we've been able to pump out a few books in the last few years to kind of give the Australian market some more Australian motor racing books. Rockpool looks like you've got up there and you, you got rolling as well. It's great for the thing overall. Is there some more to come off the back of this next year? Have you got some stuff planned? Is there some stuff you can secretly tell us? Where's it all at? Can we see some more stuff in the near future? Yeah, the next um, books that we're publishing will be general motoring. Um, so I, I can reveal that much for uh, next year. I know that's not revealing much at all. Don't forget, uh, and I know you haven't forgot, because uh, the V8 Sleuth Bookshop is also selling the Supercars book. That was released uh, only about six weeks ago. And that's actually a good talking point because um, people are saying, why have you released two books? You know, these are your first two books, Luke. Why have they been released um, in the same year and only a couple of months apart? And the reason for that is that um, uh, the Supercars book, the Ford versus Holden era, that was supposed to be published last year because I wrote my sections for it in uh, 2019. However, at the beginning of uh, 2020, February, we had the announcement that Holden was closing down in, in Australia and the 2020 season would be the last officially for uh, Holden on the racetrack. Well, we decided that we would hold that book over 12 months so we could include the 2020 season, the last official representation of GMH in, uh, in the supercars category, in the Premier category, and at Bathurst. So that's the reason why that was delayed one year. I'm glad we did that so we could encompass the full Holden versus Ford official competition era uh, in supercars or five-litre touring cars, 1993 to 2020. So uh, did sort of elbow in on the... Uh, um, the Immortals, but we thought sell them alongside. But uh, my job also at Rockpool uh, involves now getting uh, non-motorsporting projects up. So we've got some really exciting stuff coming up uh, in the near future across all categories with other books coming up. Uh, we've got uh, another four Immortals of Australian, mo uh, Australian sport coming up across uh, uh, non-cricket, non-rugby league and non-motor racing topics i can't reveal yet but uh yeah that'll be a really successful uh, series enjoyed by a lot of people and um you know because us motor racing fans we all have our favorite footy code mine is being a sydney boy is uh, nrl yours of course is uh, you you uh, barrack for the mighty hawks so i know who uh what what book you would buy in the future <laughs> uh, i've got a funny feeling i know where this is going then by the way if you do do um Immortals of Australian Basketball. I'm a bit of a Hoops fan. If you need some help, give us a buzz. I'd be up for that. I reckon that'd be... Always looking for uh, cool. knowledgeable authors on specialist uh, subjects. I know you're on my hit list. Oh, oh, hit list sounds bad, mate. That sounds really bad. The Supercars book that we spoke about is in our online bookshop as well. Uh, it's a combination of a, a summary of 1993 to 2020, year by year, profiles of all the star drivers, the point scores of the, the top 10 to recap from over the journey. And it's a bit of an overall overarching look at all those years of what was going on with who, what, when, where, uh, why and how. It's in our shop. 
shop, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Quickly want to ask, a lot of our followers at V8 Sleuth who listen to the pod, who read the website, who follow the socials, are also big fans and followers of Australian Muscle Car Magazine. Um, long-time tenure for you in the, in the editor's chair there. Looking back on the eight or nine years, what's the most satisfying story, cover story, element that you managed to, to do in that time. I'm always interested to to hear a bit of this stuff, particularly when you're now out of it and you can stop, turn around and and look back rather than being right in the middle of the next issue, the next story, the next thing. I think the thing I'm most proud of in my eight years and 55 issues in the editor's chair at Muscle Car Magazine is that we were able to continue to find previously untold stories. Um and things, cars would just pop up. One of the ones I really enjoyed, and it's a car that's been in the news and uh, I know you've given it some publicity, was the uh, ex-Kingsley Hibbard uh, GDHO yeah. Phase 3 Improved Production Era um, Falcon. That was a great story to, uh, to tell, the car that people have forgotten about and had been squirreled away for so many years like decades and uh working with um the bowden's own crew there to, to tell a previously untold story uh that was really satisfying that's the one that comes to mind but that was that was issue 101 so it was the fact that we got to 100 and then we could say there's still stories to be told issue 101 here's a car we, we haven't uh shown before um, yeah, but summing up, doing putting together issue 100, the celebrator issue was uh, was really good too. It was uh, yeah, a bit of pressure on that one because it, being in that job, because uh, Mark Osler had established the benchmark for Muscle Car as the foundation editor and did such a great job. And once he did a story, you couldn't sort of it was done so comprehensively. What other magazine does 40 page exposés and technical rundowns on cars so once you do that it's hard to revisit and, and find other angles but you know thankfully we were able to do it and now steve normoyle has uh, got that pressure now and he's doing a great <laughs> job uh, digging up other stories so we had a had a lot of fun doing muscle car uh, that's for sure yeah it's a ripper it's a uh, an important contribution to the uh, to the sports history in Australia and being a bit of a history buff myself, and I know you are as well, it's uh, it's uh, full. actually I've run out of folders to put them in, actually. I need to get some new ones to fit them on the, the bookshelf here at Sleuth Headquarters. Mate, The Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, The Local Heroes, it's out now. It's a ripper book for Christmas, or if you want to treat yourself to an early present, by all means, listeners do so. Jump on the website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. It's one of a bunch of great books that we've got at the moment from both our range and other publishers. I think it's a it's a really great thing. It's 188 pages. It's a little hardcover. Um, some beautiful pickies in there, uh, lovely paper stock, and um, people can argue until the cows come home about who should have been in, who should have been out, uh, what the order should have been, all of those things. Uh, I think if you can keep some debate um, going in the months and weeks after this has come out, then you've done a good book. So, Luke, uh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Well bold. We look forward to seeing some more books from you in the uh, the upcoming months, weeks and years. And tell us the secrets in future. We won't tell anyone. You're among friends on the V8 Sleuth podcast, Powered by Repco. Okay. Uh, no, no worries. I trust you now. No, thank you so much, Aaron, for having me on your, your podcast. And I just hope everyone enjoys the book. That's the most important thing. Uh, great to catch up with Luke West. He's done a great job with the Immortals book. You can buy your copy from our online store, bookshop.v8sleuth.com 
www.thepodcast.com.au. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter as well. You get links to our stories on our website, to some of the new products in our store, v8sleuth.com.au. We are building a really great community of sleuthers. It's great to have you all with us. And socials is the place where you can find a lot of our work too, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, get on there. Get on board. By the way, leave a review. Tell us all about the pod. Tell us what you think. Subscribe so you get the notifications and you don't miss a moment of the pod. Now, next week, get ready. Buckle in. It's big. I can tell you right now, next week on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco, is a man by popular demand. He has been asked about and asked for for many, 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 many months. Finally, Neil Crompton is on the V8 Sleuth podcast. It took a while. We got there in the end. Crompo on the pod next Wednesday. It drops around lunchtime. Make sure you tune in. It's a great chat. It was great to catch up with Crompo. I haven't seen him in person for a while, obviously, given COVID and no events and the like. So a bit of Zoom chat was as good as we had to do. But I tell you what, he was in pretty good form. Great to catch up with Crompo next Wednesday on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Anyway, thanks for joining us again for this episode of The Immortals. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll chat to you next week. Thanks again. It's been the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Catch you soon. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.